Okay, we are in, in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And uh, we're going to continue on the same portion that we had read a little bit from last week. It says in, in Matthew 21 verse, verse uh, 28. Matthew 21, 28. But what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in the vineyard. And he said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe him. What I want to do is I want to look at the life of of a young man in the scriptures and his name is, is Josiah, and see the, the kind of heart response that he had when he was confronted with an event where he realized that maybe he wasn't walking in the right way. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. So after Samuel, if you see Samuel there, and that's after, after the... the so you got the first five books of Moses, and then you go on, you see Samuel, and then after that you get Kings, and Second Kings chapter 22. And let me give you a little bit of context here. Josiah had, was eight years old when he had become king, and when he was about 16 years old, he started really seeking God. And when he was about 20 years old, he started to clean up the temple. So he was right about your age at this time. He was somewhere probably 18, somewhere between 18 and 20 years old when this event happens. And we'll start reading from verse 8. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan who read it. Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought that word to the king and said, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it to the hand of the workmen and who, who, have, who have oversight over the house of the Lord. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes and the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahakim the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and the people and all Judah concerning the words of the book that's been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us, because our fathers have not listened to the word of the book to do according to all that's written in it. You know, it's, it's really interesting. Let me, let me just put this in, in context. You know, they, they, had, they had sought for an offering to build, to rebuild the temple. And so Josiah had, had proclaimed this, and people came and they gave money for the rebuilding of the temple. And things really don't change much. You know, I just walked up to Roger. I don't know how many of you were in the early service. And I said, Roger, 
Unless you teach this, people will never learn. It must be taught. And I've heard this lesson in these verses that he talked about, oh, I don't know, bunches and bunches of times throughout my Christian life. And it really doesn't bother me because I think we really need to be taught how to give. I learned how to give in the body of Christ. So much so that when I hear messages on giving, it doesn't bother me at all because I know that I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do. And it's really very easy. I mean, now it's really easy. I just set it up electronically and I I know, you you know, the the university pays me twice a week electronically and then then my bills get paid electronically twice a week. So I, I don't know if the... If the church gets their tithe first, but it, it happens probably within a nanosecond of all the others, so maybe that's close enough. But uh, uh, so it, it just all goes out at the same time, just boom, and then then it, you don't even think about it much. And here they were having an offering, but that's that's not what I'm looking at. What I'm looking at today in this portion is they happened to find the book, the book, this book, but it wasn't all here because. The things of Josiah hadn't yet been written about. And it was actually just the books of Moses and maybe a little bit about some of the earlier kings that had been written. But they find this book. And they didn't have the advantage of having lots and lots of copies of this. There was the copy of the book of the things that were written. And so it wasn't a normal practice for people to be reading this. And when they started to read it to the king... When the king heard the words of the book, he tore his clothes. Now, that was an expression of, oh my goodness. They would just rend their garments. Physically, they would rend them. I don't know what it would be like today. We would place our hands on the side of our head and cry out, oh my goodness, or something. We would have some expression there. But he realized that... The kingdom of Israel, and particularly the kingdom of Judah that he was now king over, was not obeying the words of this book. And so what he did is he said, go and inquire of the Lord for us. Go and inquire and find out. So they had to look for a prophet. And who they found was a prophetess. So in verse 14, So Hilkiah the priest and Achaim and Achbor and Shaphan and Isaiah went to Huldah the prophetess the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of, of Haras, keeper of the wardrobe. Now, she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her. I mean, isn't the Bible remarkable? It just defines who everybody is, the descendancy of everyone, and even what city she lived in, and not just what city, what quarter she lived in, the exact neighborhood. I mean, the Bible is just an amazing book. You want to track things down, you can really track it down. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord God, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil on this place and on its inhabitants, even all the words of this book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods, that they might... Provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath burns against this place, and it shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel regarding the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard what I spoke against this place, 
and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. So not only did the king rend his garments, the king actually wept before the Lord when he heard the correction from the word of God. He realized he was going in a wrong way. And the result of the wrong way, according to what was read in this very book that we have, according to what was read, it said that God was going to come and curse the children of that land for disobedience. Because what we see throughout Moses' writings and throughout the Bible is every blessing of God comes with a stipulation. There is no just, oh, bless you, and walking away from God. There is none. Every blessing is coupled with some act of obedience. Every blessing is coupled with some act of obedience in the Scriptures. If you can find a blessing that is not coupled with some act of obedience, I'd like to know, because I'm looking for that. Because I'd like to use it, okay, here's an exception. And I'd like to be able to note that, so that when I teach this, I can teach it properly. Every blessing is coupled with some act of obedience. And he realized that there was great cursing that was going to come because they, were, they had strayed from the Lord. The key is, you compare this to what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, you saw the prostitutes coming. You saw the tax collectors coming. You realized that John was a prophet. And yet, you still didn't even turn. He says, you should have at least turned at that point. He says, when you saw it, then you didn't even turn. When you saw these other lives changing because of John's preaching, then you still didn't even turn. He says, now you will endure the very curses of this book. This is what's coming here. But she says to Josiah, she says, because your heart was tender, because you wept when you heard the words of this book, I will not let these things happen to you. You will be sheltered from this. And in fact, I will gather you to your grave in peace. Josiah died at a fairly young age. He died at 39. It's a fairly young age. Now, he had ruled since he was eight. So he had ruled a long time. But right after that, there was the destruction that came upon Israel. But God protected Josiah. God's protection is there. Now, Josiah now hears these prophecies. This prophecy. Okay, because I wept, because my heart was tender, God's going to do this. So now I can just settle back, right? Wrong. Look what, what Josiah does. Even though the promise came to him that he was going to be set. Look at what he does in chapter 23, verse 1 of Second Kings. Then the king sent, and they gathered to him all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. So the king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which were found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk before the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in the book. And he and all the people entered into the covenant. So look at what Josiah does. He calls together all his elders, 
and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, he calls them together, both small and great. I mean, can you imagine, you know, the, the housewives with all the kids around them? The king says, come. Well, I'm kind of busy today. I mean, the kids scream. The king said, we'd better get out there. He brings them all to the house of the Lord, and he stands up and he starts to read the words of this book. It says he read everything. I don't know how many days it took him. But he read it, and then he entered into a covenant to say, I will obey the words of this book. And he made them enter into the words of the covenant. What you see in Israel is that when they had a good king, the people followed. When they had a wicked king, the people followed. This king took them into covenant with him. You can make a decision of will you follow this covenant or not. And if you make this decision, remember what I'm telling you. You can cause your family to enter into this covenant with you. One day you will be a father. One day you will be a mother. Make a covenant when you establish this family unit. That when you start having a relationship with somebody that you think is going to be leading to marriage, begin to discuss this, that we need to make a covenant before the Lord, that our marriage is here to serve God, and that we will raise our children in the fear of the Lord, that we will teach them the things of this book. Josiah himself stood there and taught all the people, and he caused them to enter into the covenant. You can do this. If you don't do it, People in your family will be led astray. You know, I was talking with, with one friend. I was traveling last week and I was at a meeting and there was this one professor that I had shared with before and he's a believer. And we were talking about our families and our children and I said, you know, I have no regrets. He said, well, how can you have no regrets? I said, because I've taught my children the best I know how the ways of God. At 5.30 every morning, I woke them up from the time they were little, little kids. Shireen would even, he couldn't understand this. They were newborns. They'd take them out of their crib, 5.30 in the morning, bring them out to family prayer time. From the time they were little kids, and we would memorize scripture together, we would read scriptures together, we'd get on our knees together and pray, and I'd bless each of them in the name of the Lord. And by 6 o'clock, I was gone. You know, I left my house, and still, to this day, I leave my house at 6 in the morning. And, and, uh, but from 5.30 to 6, I taught them the ways of God the best I know how. It's not easy. Didn't I ever want to sleep? Yeah. Didn't I ever want to not do this? Didn't I ever feel like not doing this? Yes. But I wanted to have them enter into this covenant with me. You can do the same thing. And then you can grow as parents without regret. Because you've taught them the ways of God, the covenants that are here. What they do at this point is up to them. They are independent entities. But in my home, I taught them the ways of God. You can do this. If you get this pattern with your spouse, even before the kids are born, to do this, it will keep you together. He entered into covenant. He saw this. And what happens when you take this book and you begin to read it is exactly the Josiah experience. Oh my goodness. I'm not obeying here. I'm not walking in this. And then it gives, he gives you opportunity to turn and repent. And then Josiah took steps to fulfill this. Look in verse 4 of chapter 23 of Second Kings. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out 
of the temple of the Lord, all the vessels that were made for Baal, for the Asherah, and for the host of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had appointed to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the surrounding areas of Jerusalem. And those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and to the constellations and to the host of heaven. He brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord out of Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and ground it to dust and threw its dust on the graves of the common people. He also broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes which were in the house of the Lord where the women were weaving hangings for the Asherah. Then he brought out all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned the incense from Geba and Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on the left side of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not go up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. He also defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire for Molech. He did away with the horses, the kings of Judah had given to the son at the entrance of the house of the Lord. And he goes on and on. You, you think this is easy? Oh, well, he's king. He can proclaim this. I mean, the man is like 18 or 20 years old. Can you imagine standing at your age, even though you are king, and challenging all these established cult religions and, and, and things that were going on? Yet he proclaimed it and he did it. You want to walk in authority with God? Learn to follow his ways. This man utterly cleaned it out. It says there was no king like Josiah before or after him. Because he took the words of this book seriously. Jesus came against the people of Israel because they were ho-hum. La-di-da-da-da. Oh, there's another prophet. <laughs> That's very nice. We have our own established little religion here. Thank you very much, Jesus. And he says, when you saw it, you didn't even turn. It didn't cause you to do anything. When are you going to allow your hearts to rend and to change? All right, turn back to Matthew chapter, chapter uh, 21. Matthew chapter 21. Listen to another. Matthew chapter 21, verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to the vine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive the produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the landowner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to the vine growers? They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper season. And Jesus said, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. It came about from the Lord and it was marvelous in his eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whom it falls, 
he will, he will scatter him like dust. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, they understood that he was speaking about them. And when they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. So he gives them the parable. And he says, a man planted a vineyard. He put in it a wine press. He built, he built a wall around it and he put up a tower. He says he rented it out to vine growers. The vine growers, he came back to get the rent from them. He had rented it out. Remember, he didn't give it to them. He rented it out to them. He came back to get payment, sent his slaves. They killed some slaves. They, they beat others. Then he sent more slaves. They did the same. Then he sent his son and they killed him. This is one and the same sort of message you see in chapter 22 of Matthew, verses, verses uh, uh, 1 through 14. One and the same message. And Jesus does something very specific. Look, he says he rented it out. When Jesus provides everything to us, there is something that he expects in return. And if you think that that's not true, show me in the scriptures where he doesn't demand something from us. Show me. Jesus, it says, he rented it out and they would not pay the rent. He rented it out and they didn't pay the rent. And who is he speaking of? He's speaking of the nation of Israel. He has provided everything for them and they didn't pay him. And then in chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, is another similar story where it says in, in verse 22, verse 1, Jesus spoke to the uh, to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Now let's skip on to verse 7. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to the slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways. And as many as you find there, invite them to the wedding feast. This is speaking of the Gentiles, which Jesus then starts bringing on in. He says, those who I invited wouldn't come. And now bring in the Gentiles. Now let's look in Romans chapter 11. In Romans chapter 11. Turn to Romans chapter 11. And so what happens is, Jesus then invites in the Gentiles. And we have a tendency, the Gentiles have a tendency to forget what has happened here. To forget what has gone on, what has gone before them. In Romans chapter 11, read in verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that the scriptures say in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads, against, pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, am left. And they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way then, there has come also to this present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Okay, so what he says is that God has not forgotten the nation of Israel. God has not. He says, even when Elijah the prophet came against Israel, he says, look, they're all a bunch of murdering people. 
God says, be careful what you say. There's a remnant among them. And then, skipping down to verse 11, he says, I say then, in Romans 11, 11, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. You want to know why salvation has come to the Gentiles? To make the Jews jealous. It's not because the Gentiles are really great. Both the Gentiles and the Jews are sinners just alike. God has opened the doors for non-Jews to come in and receive of the blessing to make Jews jealous. You say, where does it say that? Right here. It says in verse 11, I say then, they did not stumble. Who is they? He's speaking of Israel. To fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, that's the Jews' transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgressions is riches to the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more shall their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are also. Look what, what he says. Remarkable. He says that Gentiles have come in to make Jews jealous. And if the disobedience of the Jews has been a blessing to the Gentiles, how much more their obedience. You will find that when a Jew comes to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, they are a tremendous blessing to the church. You'll see that. If their disobedience has been blessing to the world, how much more their fulfillment when Jews come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ? That's what he's saying. He says, you are there to make them jealous. And in fact, Paul says, I want to move to jealousy my Jewish companions. You know, I was in Israel last year. And most scientists know about me and know about my faith because they read my website. And so... I walked into a woman's office who was an Orthodox Jew. I didn't know she was an Orthodox Jew, just to, for my normal meeting. So what happens? What, what do professors do when they visit another university? They go from office to office, visiting with the different professors for 30 minutes or 45 minutes, and then in the afternoon they give a seminar. That's, that, that's what we do. So I walk into her office, and she's just looking at her computer, and she says, I just got done reading your personal statement on your website. So here's this Orthodox Jewish woman reading about me, a Jew who proclaims that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Now remember, to an Orthodox Jew, you're just a Gentile dog. I am a traitor. It's very different the way they would view me. And so she, got, she looked at me, I said, well, then you probably don't like me. She said, no, I wouldn't say that. And so we started to talk, and I started to share with her how much I love the Scriptures, and how much I was enjoying my visit to Israel. And I started talking about the different things that I had seen and how it matches up with the Scriptures I had read and how the Scriptures have impacted my life so much. And then she would start teaching me things from the Scriptures. And it was amazing with this Orthodox Jewish woman. And then she said to me, my grandfather was the chief rabbi of Jerusalem. And she had been a tour guide in high school in Jerusalem. So she knew a lot about the archaeology of the place and, and the history of the place. And so we started talking. So we talked for about 40 minutes. And she started getting these tears in her eyes. 
she looked at me, she said, I envy you. I said, you envy me? I said, why is that? She said, because in my orthodoxy, I have to light a candle and say this prayer. I have to do this and do that and do this and do that. And Orthodox Jews are filled with a gazillion things that they have to do, much more than Moses ever commanded them to do. They have the Mishnaic law to fulfill, which was a man-given law. She says, I never have time in all of my religious practices to just sit down and enjoy the scriptures like you do. This is what she said to me. One of the people that I had met at, at the religious university in, in Israel, bar University, came to visit me in my home about six months after I had visited Israel. And so he was coming through Houston, and so we had him for dinner in our home. He was an Orthodox Jew, always wore his kippah, and the only reason he could eat in our home is because Shireen washed the dishes with boiling water, and, and there was no meat served. He couldn't have any meat in, the, in, in uh, a home where there was a Gentile cooking. And um, so we just had big vegetable salad for him and, and, uh, and we bought special bread for him, kosher bread and things like that. And while we were eating, we were just dialoguing about the scriptures the whole time. And then I mentioned to him this story with this woman at the Technion that had taken place in Israel. And he looked at me and says, I envy you too. I said, you do? I said, why is that? He says, for the very same reasons that she did. He says, because of your understanding of the scriptures that you really believe these things. We will move to jealousy, Jews, when they see our love for the Lord. We will move them to jealousy. That is why God has brought in the Gentiles. God shut out the Jews because they rejected again and again. They killed His prophets. They wouldn't come to the wedding feast. What does this mean for the Gentiles? Here's what it says. Look in verse 17 of Romans 11. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partakers with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember, it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith, Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. Behold the kindness and the severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness, if you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you will be broken off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For if God is able to graft them in again, God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who were natural branches be grafted in to their own olive tree? You see that? He's saying that if the Gentiles, the Gentiles were grafted in to the olive tree that came from the Jewish stock, he says their branches were broken off. He says, but if they will believe, they'll be grafted in. And if they could, if you, being a wild olive tree, Gentiles can be grafted in, how much more the Jews can be grafted in? He says this. He says, there is a tendency to say, oh, well, branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. He says, quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. 
For if God did not spare the natural branches, he'll not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. I am telling you that I have seen this. I have lived in a Jewish home, grew up in a Jewish home, and there is no life of God there. I'll talk about God maybe once in a while, but there's no real life. It is not unlike many homes of so-called Christians that I walk into. Very much like that. Because they've been cut off for their unbelief. They named the name of Christian, but it means nothing. There's no substantive difference in the life. And what I'm saying is, unless we take this word of God and really believe it, our lives, our spiritual lives will be cut off. You say, well, God would never do that. He doesn't have to. You walk away from it yourself. You walk away from it. He doesn't have to rub our noses in the ground. There's enough stinking rot within us for us to do all kinds of uh, uh, vile evil if we stray from Him and His Word. And it doesn't come by osmosis. does not. We must be in this Word. We must take hold of this Word and be in it. And desire to set our lives right. You say, well, I'll do that one day when I get my own family. You will not. You do it now. You do it today. You do it at your age. Wherever you are, you take this Word of God and you begin to obey it. And you take these words seriously. Because there are blessings for obeying it and cursings for disobeying. You take what you have and you give something of yourself to the body of Christ. To the community of Christ. You follow the scriptures and you will be greatly blessed. If I follow the scriptures, I will be blessed. As I stray from them, I will bring cursings upon myself. It's not like God has to stand there and say, I curse you. He doesn't have to. I bring it upon myself. You know, I've had students who question me in my life. You know, why do you do this? Why do you spend so much time with your church? And and I just watch them and I watch their families. And I was just telling Shireen this morning... You know, I had a student. He and I were very close. You know, you become different levels of closeness to different students. And I had this graduate student. He and I were very close. And he would come in and we'd talk all the time, but he could never understand why as a young, a young assistant professor I would still do active ministry, still take the time to do active ministry, still take the time to bring my family to church and teach them the ways of God. And then he and his wife, you know, they had it all together. They had the world by the tail. You know, she was educated. He was getting his Ph.D. So he got his Ph.D. He ends up becoming a young assistant professor and just throws himself into his work. He ended up never getting tenure, as sharp as can be, but one thing after another. And his wife, you know, that she had worked so hard in this particular job and they just happened to close up the place and she lost everything. So he got another job and then when he didn't get tenure, he had to leave town. And so now they have to... They only see each other on weekends because he's in one city, she's in another city. It's just a rough life, and they've never had any kids, and and, uh, uh, he's in his, uh, I don't know, probably his late 30s right now. And, you know, so I was a young assistant professor when he joined my group, and I've just watched his life. And I watched the outcome of just throwing himself into himself. When we take these words and take them seriously... There is a blessing that comes in life. Josiah knew it. And he called upon the covenant. When we take these words and just sit back like a bunch of 
of, uh, of nominal Jews and not take these words seriously, remember it says, your branch may well be cut off. He says, if God's going to cut off the natural branches, your, your branch will be cut off too because of your unbelief. There will be no life there. You say, well, I can't lose my salvation. Well, good for you. You'll lose everything else. You'll have a miserable life. Terribly miserable life. You'll lose your children. You'll lose your spouse. You'll lose it all. Because you can't take these words of God and not take them seriously. You stand because of your faith. He says, you better fear. And you better stand only because of your faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of this word. Your word is so true. Lord, I pray for these young people that they would learn to fear. Fear should they walk in disobedience to you. Fear should they walk in unbelief because they stand because of their belief, because of their faith. Father, I pray that you'd give them a heart like Josiah to be willing to read this book, openly read it, testify of it and obey it and follow through on it. Father, I pray that you give them good and healthy lives. I pray your grace to be upon them, that they would take this word seriously. Father, I pray the grace of God fill them and use them. May your grace be there. And I commit them to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.